Hello, and welcome to the Vigilante Book Club. If this is your first time tuning in, I suggest heading on over to episode one and giving it a listen so you know what the hell we're talking about. Heads up, the book we're reading contains all manner of possibly offensive material, like sex, violence, and profanity. And sometimes the three of us generate a little offensive material of our own while we're discussing it, though it rarely comes to sex and violence. You fucking idiot. Kayvon made me say that. There, now you happy? Sa-ra. 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 <laughs> Are you married? A me? Delancey asked, and a sudden tautness came over the man. Are you asking because you're interested, or...? <laughs> What farts? Pig farts. Are you saying pig farts? I'm going to send you a video. Don't. I wish you wouldn't. What do you think? Oh, no, no, <laughs> hang on. Drew, do you know what it is? No. What do you think a cake fart video is? I wonder. Cake fart videos. I mean. Yeah, what do you, what do you, what could the, what do you think that would end up being? Like, what is it? What did they, what did I mean, they do? I can only like go the literal route, which is like somehow sweet ass farts. Like, what is the sweet ass fart? I don't know. Like, someone's like put something up there and like up their ass, like something sweet, and then like cake, and then like farted in someone's face. I guess I'm going to have to go a similar route here using the process of elimination. I know there's cakes and farts and it's pornography, so there must be some sort of sexual arousal involved. I'm going to say somebody's farting on a cake and somebody else is eating it while masturbating. Okay. okay. So you're, you're both very correct in going the literal route. The video itself is so simple. It's not even really nude. And there is a cake on a counter, and usually a young lady um, farts on it. And you can kind of see the icing move a little bit. <laughs> and then she'll usually plant her butt in the cake, fart again, and that's about the end of the video. Wow. Well, Farron was pretty close. What would Carl Jung have to say about that? Save a piece for me? <laughs> 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 you know, that's probably not inaccurate, actually. This episode of the Vigilante Book Club is brought to you by the first human who drank cow's milk. Thank you for your service, you glorious pervert. Uh, I have a, 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 I have a question. I'm curious about this one. It's, it seems like such a basic thing, but inspired by, you know, Joe's recent uh, journey. Um, do you guys cry? Yes. And I do I get... cry. Uh, that's a great question because uh, I've actually sort of struggled with elements of that myself because when I was a kid, I cried uh, quite a lot. Um, when I was mad or when I had any emotional response, I would cry. And for some reason, I felt like that was something you're supposed to do alone. So I'd go into my bedroom and I'd like just be so mad about something who knows what and i just cry like angry cry into a pillow like and and somewhere along the line 
that completely went away for me. I cried way, way, way less. And now... Were you you picking up on like a societal cue that it wasn't normal for boys to cry? I think so. I think that the um, somewhere learning that I, you know, the the way you cry is alone, um, that it's not something, it makes other people uncomfortable, uh, is something that I picked up. Also probably because you, especially when we grew up, you know, in the 80s and 90s, uh, you didn't see a lot of men crying on TV or films or anything like that. So there's something that definitely trained me that that's what you do privately. But since I, I, I do cry because of theater and being much more in touch with my emotions, uh, but I still am more expressive in my crying if I'm doing it alone. So you, you've, um, you've tracked that in growing into your adult life, you have found a, a connection and a healthy ability to, if you're feeling sad, um, you can express that through tears, through a cry. Release. Absolutely. I I will cry. And there are like few real triggers. Like generally the biggest trigger for me to like guarantee a a, a cry is if an older man in a movie or TV series uh cries. That will kill me every damn time. I'm gonna start sending you a lot of little photos and clips now <laughs> moving forward knowing that. Just just giving me just, all kinds of release. That's here's actually your, here's really thoughtful. Your daily, you. Here's your daily old man crying video. Yeah. Um, Baron, do you do you cry? I do. Yeah. <clears throat> Are you crying right now? I'm crying right now. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, you know, you know not to bring up the old man. <laughs> yeah, fair. I have to see it, but Farron just hears a story yeah. about an old man crying, and he's yeah. he's gone. If he's I gone. hear the words "old" or "man" together, yeah. Or yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I I think I cry pretty frequently. I I will say that I share the experience of uh, I I find it difficult to cry around others, um, and I do I do chalk that up to um, to sort of societal pressures because growing up uh, with an Italian family, I didn't really feel like crying was off limits. I I felt like uh, I was surrounded by very emotional people, people who wore their emotions on their sleeves. And, you know, I'm, I was quite used to seeing, say, my grandfather weep with joy or sadness or, or, you know, whatever it was he was experiencing. And yet to this day, I really, I, I still catch myself if I'm, if I'm in front of people and I feel that urge to cry I, without having to think about it. I, I choke it back. I, I, I hold it back. I muscle it down. Um, and I think that has to be the programming that was in film and TV because, you know, guys didn't do that. But but I'm, and I envy uh, so strongly your, both of your uh, access to crying because I can't. I don't. Oh, interesting. That's I, interesting. It's been years. And, and even when I have a cry, it's always... Um, stilted like it's not i i I don't remember the last time i wept right that that release that feeling that you describe of of being able to let something out and go and shedding it and um allowing the allowing to go through your your body um i i don't i i've never really had many of those do you think that's because you don't need to have a cry or do you think you do i think i do i absolutely think i do like i i i've watched people weeping with not empathy envy like right <laughs> like I, I have i have comforted somebody but been admiring it the whole time being like ah, this looks like feels good 
is it wrong that I'm taking this on as a personal mission to make you cry? Yeah, let's make him cry. I'm going to start getting videos of old men. Yeah, some <laughs> yeah. old man videos. <laughs> Which, if you Google that, does not come up with what you expect it to. I was going to say, the three of us are going to get put on a very unusual watch list because... <laughs> <laughs> Last week on The Vigilante, Joe and Sarah took the subway, were approached by four muggers, and Joe Madden lost his shit, causing the murder of his own wife. He woke up with head trauma and was escorted home by a police officer who commented on the issues of women in their purses, and it all culminated with the greatest tragedy of all, a man's tears. And now, chapter four. Somehow, he didn't know how, he made it from the car across the sidewalk to his building. Delancey offered to come with him, but he shook his head no. I'll be all right, he insisted, but couldn't look at the man when he said it. He couldn't. But Delancey didn't pull away from where he'd double-parked until the outside apartment building door had closed behind Madden. He half fell across the terrazzo floor of the small lobby, and his thumb came in contact with the up button of the elevator on first try. Please, God, let it be empty. No people. Not now. But there were people. Two women and two small children in prams. He tried to avoid looking at them as they exited the car, but he couldn't help but notice them and how they exchanged glances upon seeing him. He and Sarah had exchanged similar glances when coming unexpectedly upon some drunk on the streets. Sarah... He clasped his right hand to his mouth and stumbled into the car. No sooner had the door closed than he felt the taste of vomit in his mouth. God, no. Not here. He swallowed hard, his insides groaning with agony under the strain he was subjecting them to, but they withstood the pressure until the door opened at the third floor, and he staggered to his door and turned the knob. The door was locked. Of course it was locked. But the fact struck him as being somehow humorous. And amidst the sobs he heard coming from his throat, there came a savage laugh. Lock them out, Joe. Lock them out now that it's too goddamn late. How often have you ever been in an intense situation and it just morphed into laughing? Uh, that's like that's like my reflex like, if, yeah if i'm oh. if i'm like especially if i'm scared um I, I i get the giggles i can be overwhelmed by the seriousness of something and if i've had a good cry uh, i'm actually more close to laughter at some point in there where i need to laugh about something small to just like lighten the mood a bit for myself because otherwise i just go deep and dark i thought that's why we always laughed like all the boys would laugh in sex ed because we just couldn't handle the the raw information and so we were all giggly and stupid and like can you i I can't even fathom being an adult male in a high school and being like so testicles vaginas how are we (laughs) yeah and no matter how serious like the only thing that makes that funnier is how serious they are but the video we watched i'll never forget it so long as i live um there were all of these penises these animated penises flying through the air like in the sky surrounded by clouds and i believe the voiceover said something sky dicks yeah they're like disembodied sky dicks (laughs) many of them a (laughs) flock of sky dicks 
a flock of dicks. Uh, and the voiceover says something like, penises are just like noses. They come in all different shapes and sizes. And then the dicks turn into sky noses as they're flying. And that's where your nose fetish started. And that's where my <laughs> nose fetish started. This episode of the Vigilante Book Club is brought to you by Kayvon Koshkam, exploiting friendship since 2020. And silent letters. Get in rhythm with your neighbors this autumn and lend them your Worcestershire sauce. The door was locked. Of course it was locked. But the fact struck him as being somehow humorous. And amidst the sobs he heard coming from his throat, there came a savage laugh. Lock them out, Joe. Lock them out now that it's too goddamn late. He looked at his left hand and was surprised to see the key ring there. It was sheer conditioning. As the elevator car rose, his left hand automatically had dipped into the proper trousers pocket and clasped around the keys. And almost automatically now, the same hand was inserting the proper key into its lock. It was in the hallway to the apartment, the door closed behind him, that he doubled over and his guts pushed out everything they could. By the time he had control over himself, he was kneeling on the hardwood floor, his knees soaked in his own internal stench. Christ, Christ. And his ears were ringing. Because the telephone was ringing. <laughs> what? Uh, I also have a question. Uh, anybody use the word trousers anymore? Yeah, sure. You do? Yeah, when I describe a dead golfer. <laughs> <laughs> Which, strangely, you've been doing too much of. There, in the living room, it sat, on its stand, a refinished vaudeville trooper's trunk, which had cost Sarah many hours of hard labor. How she carried on the day she brought it home. You don't see the possibilities, she had told Madden, who, his eye jaundiced toward her big find. Sarah, my God, Sarah. But his hand was on the telephone now. He lifted the mouthpiece. He recognized the voice, an urgent voice. Joe! Joe, are you there? Crosby asked into the void. I'm here, he managed to say. He was on his knees, still. Or again. He didn't know which, but somehow he had crossed the distance between the hallway and telephone. Make a fucking choice, writer. <laughs> I hope it was that he never got up because the picture of him like dwarf walking across the living room. <laughs> <laughs> but why aren't you here, Joe? For Christ's sake, don't you know that Grossman? And then the voice stopped. When it resumed, the tone was completely different. Joe, is something the matter? Sarah, Madden said. Crosby repeated the name as if speculatively. As he did so, Madden realized that Hal and Sarah had met only once at the last office Christmas party. Hal lived in the suburbs, Jersey, up north, Connecticut, Long Island, somewhere out there. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> who the hell knew? And who the hell knew what Crosby's wife's name was? He didn't. Not now, at least. Maybe if he had time to think, maybe if his mind was receptive to recalling past conversations. Evidently, Crosby's mind was. Sarah, your wife. Joe, what's happened? She's dead, Hal. They killed her. 
He hung up. He had managed to move no further than three feet from the phone, to the wing-back chair by its side, when again he heard the thing ring. Again he picked it up without speaking. Again it was Crosby. Joe, you... There was an uncomfortable pause. Crosby coughed. (coughs) You're not kidding, are you? I mean, what you said just now? She's dead, Madden said. In saying it, he seemed to be some kind of robot. No, two robots. One watching and storing the data that the other was delivering. My wife is dead, Hal. There was a silence. So much of one that Madden began to think the line had malfunctioned. Then, Joe, uh, what can I... Nothing, Hal. Nobody can do nothing. Joe, where are you? No, that's stupid. I know where you are. Can I come up? I mean, do you want somebody? And suddenly Hal Crosby was lo- was talking like an electric typewriter gone amuck. Joe, listen, I'll, I'll tell the old man and then I'll grab a cab and, and look, stay where you are and... I'm not going anywhere, Hal. He felt as if he were a corpse saying those words. No, he said sullenly. Don't come up, Hal. I don't want... But what happened? An accident? Joe! Don't, Hal. Don't say anything. Anything. Look, Joe, I'll... Don't. He hung up. Then he sat staring at the phone, waiting for it to ring again. He could picture Hal frantically dialing his number a third time. But the ring didn't come. No, probably Hal had rushed into the old man's office. After a couple of minutes, then the phone would ring, and it would be Chilton himself. Chilton. Wondering what he could do. He could continue to wonder, Madden decided. He took the receiver off the hook. As he did so, he saw the dried vomit on his hand. The smell of his inside seemed to bombard his nostrils, and his head reeled. He needed a drink. Needed one real bad. He had the Johnny Walker in the water tumbler, and all he needed now was the ice. It was on the refrigerator door. The note among four others all fastened to the door by small, unpainted magnets. He felt his heart stop beating as he saw Sarah's handwriting on the small piece of paper, felt-tip pen green, on torn notepad sections. Carrots, said one. The others, candles. She was a candle nut, loved them brilliantly blazing around the table at mealtime. K.T.'s birthday. K.T.? He didn't know any K.T. who was having a birthday. Probably somebody at her office. And then the topmost note. Jeans, Monday night. Madden closed his eyes. He should have had that cop called Gene. But he hadn't, so now it was up to him. He turned from the refrigerator without opening the door, his quest for ice having been forgotten. Back in the living room, he looked at the telephone, then sat down into the chair next to it. He took half the glass of scotch in his first swallow. It burned his raw throat on the way down, bringing tears to his eyes. Sure, it was the scotch that did it. Nothing else. He picked up the receiver and pushed down the button. His right index finger was poised above the dial when he recognized he had no idea of his sister-in-law's number. Besides, she wouldn't be at home now. She'd be at work. And he didn't know where she worked. Then he remembered the book. Sarah kept. He knew where it was, in their bedroom in the low Danish modern chest of drawers. 
right-hand side, top drawer, Sarah's important paper file. Among the important papers, a white, tattered little book with addresses and phone numbers. It was there, all right. It had to be. Except he didn't want to get it. He didn't want to see their bedroom now. Not now. He drained the rest of the glass, then walked to the kitchen where he'd left the scotch bottle and refilled the tumbler, this time all the way to the top. He took a healthy mouthful. He steeled himself and walked down the narrow hallway to the bedroom. I assume still on his knees. <laughs> yeah, and has he cleaned the vomit? This is driving me wild. Is the vomit... No, he's, he's vomit-covered, running around on his knees with scotch bottles. <laughs> it's so gross. It's, it's grossing me out. It's almost all I can think about. He swallowed hard at the sight of the unmade bed where, just last night, no, it had been the night before. Blocking out the rest of the room mentally, he opened the top right drawer. The book was in plain sight. Thank God it was, if he had been forced to move any of her other things. Back out in the living room now, back in the chair next to the telephone, he thumbed through the pages of the book. The print seemed to blur out the names of friends they knew but he now couldn't place. Then he found it. Jean's home number and work number. And Dan's work number. Dan, yes, he should call Dan, not Jean. Let her husband break the news that her sister was... Let him break the goddamn news. And you know, okay, just a thing I caught. <clears throat> this, is not, this is not a criticism of the book, though. Um, but, uh, but just something I feel like we see in media all the time, and it's a, it's a gender-specific gender question I have here, is that when... Um, dudes are like mourning or they need a drink for whatever reason they've had a stressful day they always drink like heavy like like whiskey it's always a brown drink and they they take too much and they throw it back and it burns right um do you see women do that why like is there are there certain alcohols that are like red wine exactly right like and 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 she you don't necessarily they wouldn't like toss it back and it would burn they might guzzle it if a woman is drinking scotch or whiskey, which will definitely happen, it's a sign of, like, strength. Oh, she's a different kind of lady. Or, alternatively, in terms of media, it's getting bad. Like, there's a problem. Like, when a man takes a healthy belt of scotch to get before he has to go into something hard, you know, it's like, that guy's, you know, he's stealing his nerves. But, you know, the image of uh, a woman uh, hitting the bottle, uh, it's a problem. Yeah, and it's more sophisticated for some reason in, in media. It's like a woman, you'll see a woman pour a big, tall glass of wine, maybe, and maybe it'll be humorous. But yeah, they don't have that sort of a, they're not portrayed with that, what is, I guess, associated as like a masculine, like I could take a hard belt of 40% alcohol, you know, like, I, I, that's a different thing. In real life, I know lots of women who drink. Oh, most of the women in my life have, like, they drink me under the table with that stuff. I, I. Uh, vomit if I drink whiskey. So we would get to smell your internal stench. Well, wouldn't be the first time, would it, Farron? All right, moving on. <laughs> we here at the Vigilante Book Club would like to take a moment to discuss a subject that touches us all. Did you know that podcasters die 10 years sooner than regular casters? Podcasting is the new smoking. Everyone is doing it. It looks cool, but it'll kill you. Fortunately, there's help. By rating, subscribing, and sharing a podcast, you can save up to two podcasters' lives. Sorry, Kayvon, we'll miss you most of all. Find out more at SaveDrewAndFerrin.com. Well, 
The woman who answered seemed irked that he'd called. Uh, just a minute, uh, I'll, I'll see if he's accepting calls. A hell of a way to run a sales-oriented business, Madden thought to himself. Tell him, tell him it's his brother-in-law. I'll tell him. There was a pause worth three swallows of Johnny Walker. Then, uh, Joe, is that you, Joe? Yeah, Dan, it's Joe. I... The laugh from the other end sounded like an avalanche. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. What's the occasion? I mean, let's face it. This is the first time you've ever bothered to call me at work. The first time you ever called me at all, if I remember right. And, and I do. What's the big deal? There's something. Something urgent. Urgent? <laughs> you don't sound so urgent, Joe. Matter of fact, you sound a little smashed. <laughs> okay, what's up? Later, he couldn't recall the words he used to get the message across, but he did get it across that he knew, because he remembered Dan's hushed question. Jesus, what in the hell am I going to tell Jean? Tell her, Madden said heavily. Tell her she's lucky. Lucky? Lucky, he repeated. Jean's still alive. He no sooner had hung up the phone when it rang. It was Chilton's secretary, an ancient creature whose name was Blanche, and who asked him with a nervous voice to please hold on. Mr. Chilton's been trying to reach you, she said almost hysterically. And then Chilton himself. Uh, Joe, uh, what's, what's happened? Hal said. Madden cut him off. Going through the general points again, he'd just done it after all, and this time he seemed to recall, with the kind of memory which was his stock and trade, the exact words he had used with Dan. When he was finished, he saw that there was no more scotch in his glass. Chilton did not say anything right away. For a few seconds, Madden wondered whether the old man was still on the line, but he was. Uh, Joe, this, this is horrible. Yeah, horrible, Madden repeated. Look, Joe, I know there's not much I or anybody else here can do at a time like this, but I also want you to know something else. I, I value you as an employee, a, a damn good one, and as, I hope, a friend. Thanks, I I guess I need a friend right now. Uh, but not a, not a friend butting in? Joe, you've got enough to think about right now, enough to worry about. Uh, don't think or worry about your work. Take as much time as you need when you decide to come back. Uh, that's generous of you. Oh, not as, not as generous as you think. You'll be back faster than you think right now, Joe. And I am telling you that the faster it happens, the better it will be. What's done is done. And <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, whoa. <laughs> What's done is done. Oh, my God. I mean, you probably should move through it. I mean, it's it, there's nothing you can do about it now. I mean, listen, I've I've buried seven wives. So at this point, you should just come to work this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm telling you, then the, the faster it happens, the, the better it will be. What's done is done. And there's nothing you can do about it. I hope that since since I'm an old man. You'll listen to me and, and maybe even believe that I know what I'm talking about. I lost my wife some time ago. Uh, not under anything like the circumstances which you... Uh... He stopped, then went on. But uh, 
I know the feeling of loss, and I know that it wasn't long before I had to get back to work <laughs> to restore some kind of balance, as it were. Joe, are you listening to me? Listening. Uh, then have another drink. I don't think you've had enough yet. When the old man's voice was gone, Madden thought about what he'd said. The last thing he'd said. His watch said it was 4.35 when he staggered to the door to answer the bell. Their faces refused to come into clear focus, but he let them in anyway. Jean and Dan. Good lord, Joe. Dan said... I told her the whole thing. I thought it best. Where is she, Joe? I mean, where is she now? Uh, Jean's concerned about the funeral arrangements. I tried to tell her it was none of her business, but... Joe, what about the arrangements? Have a drink, Madden said. Uh, a drink? Jean's little dried-up face dried up, yes. He'd never thought about her that way exactly, but that was what she was. Not only her face, but her insides as well. Dried up, a goddamn prune at thirty-one or two or three or whatever the hell the age she was. What the <laughs> That's what it says? Yes. Oh my god. He was on his knees. Or he wasn't. Maybe he'd never been on his knees. Or maybe he'd always been on his knees. I don't know. Crosby, where's he from? I don't know. Jamaica, New Jersey, Connecticut. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) It's so absurd that he would even set himself up to be indecisive about it. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to describe this. No, I'm not. Do you think he ever cleaned up the vomit? No, he's covered in it. And so, like, Gene... He'll, he'll never clean it up. Gene and Dan... Because, like, my comedy brain... Because they're, they're at his place now, right? <laughs> they come in and they're like, Ski! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, Drew. That, I can't do it better than that sound. That's the sound. <laughs> Good Lord, Joe. Dan's that Ski! <laughs> I, I told her the whole thing. I thought it best Ski! What is this, balsam? These are lovely flaws. What? <laughs> what about the funeral? <laughs> And he's just standing, watching this chaos take place. A drink? She repeated. At a time like this? Madden's voice was hard. I lost my wife today, baby. Your... (laughs) Your wife? You've known Sarah for how long? How long, I ask you? Her face now was alternating between blood red and bone white. She's been my sister for a lot longer, Joe. You've got to admit that. You've got to recognize that. Madden didn't comment. He could think of no comment. There was therefore no way of stopping the continual outpouring as the presence of Jean and Dan pushed him back into his living room. Now, as to the funeral arrangements, I will... There will be no funeral, Madden said. No, none. Sarah and I both... His voice trailed off. He remembered that day in Central Park when they made the decision. It was an easy decision then, both of them on that warm September day, looking across the lake at the weather forecast castle, whatever its name was. (laughs) It's like the author who refuses to do research. Just, no, I... Eh, fuck you. They had seen, minutes before, a little child who might have been crippled from polio or some birth defect. And Sarah, the fading rays of the sun shining through her golden hair, her lovely soft golden hair, had said it. When I die, Joe... Die? he had asked. That's a a long time coming. 
When I die, she repeated, I don't want any fancy burial. I, I want to leave my body to medical science. I, I really do. Would you mind that? He had laughed. Mind? You think I want you buried in some plot that I had to put flowers on every anniversary of our wedding? Or on your birthday? Hell yes, that's a great idea. But she had been serious. Very serious. She'd located the proper agencies and signed whatever papers were necessary. He'd even put his own signature to identical papers. Hell, he said, I'll be long dead before you. Dead and buried. Well, that's the whole point, Joe. Dead, yes, but not buried. Even after death, part of us will be able to help people. I want that for us. Both of us. Besides, I don't want to have to screw up my afternoons by having to remember to put flowers on your grave either. They had laughed about it then. And why not? Then, they had decades ahead of them. Now. No burial, Jean said. It's sacrilegious. He looked at her, trying to comprehend what she was saying. She did her best to make sure he did. There has to be a burial, and a proper funeral, too. Sarah had a proper religious upbringing, no matter what kind of atheistic things you taught her, Joe Madden. I insist. She wanted it this way, Jean, he said. It was her decision, and I'll abide by it. She wanted it. Want it? It wasn't Jean who repeated the word, but a male voice. Madden remembered there was somebody else in his apartment. He turned to face Dan. Want it? Dan said again. The look on his face was strange. Unpleasant. What the hell do you know what she wanted? I'm suppose you're going to tell me that she wanted to die? That she wanted to get sliced up by that bastard's knife? Madden's head felt suddenly as if it was going to crack wide open. Dan, what the hell are you saying? I'm saying that you're one hell of a somebody to be standing here saying what Sarah would have liked or what she wanted, you. Jean said from behind Madden, Dan? He waved her to silence. No, damn it. I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say. You, Joe, what goddamn right do you have saying anything about what Sarah wanted? She didn't want to die, you know that? And so do I. If I was there, it wouldn't have happened. I'll say that, but you, what the hell were you doing while they were killing Sarah? Where were you when, as Madden lunged, there was little logic or rationality to his move. All he knew was that he had to shut up that ugly face before him. He heard the scream of the woman behind him, but it didn't matter. All that mattered was stopping those goddamn words. Those goddamn accusing words. He felt his right fish smash into face. This is a typo. <laughs> I refuse to say the word that it wants to be. <laughs> it will always be fish. His right fish. And I'm, I may make a rule that whenever the word fist is in the rest of this book, I'm going to say fish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did you say right fish into face? He felt his right fish smash into face. <laughs> he felt the left fish crack into the other side of Dan's head. They both say fish? No. <laughs> Which fish do you want, buddy? The right fish or the left fish? Put up your fish to cuffs.
I saw a terrible fish fight. (laughs) (laughs) He felt his right fish smash into face. He felt the left fish crack into the other side of Dan's head. He saw astonishment, and he saw blood, and then he saw the bigger man go down. He heard the woman scream his name once, twice. Then he felt her frail hands trying to grasp his arms. Please, Joe, don't hit him again. He didn't mean... She stopped when he turned around. He didn't mean, Madden said dully. Then he shouldn't have said. He... But Madden's eyes were now on the other man again, watching like the eyes of some starved hawk for Dan to make a sudden aggressive move. Dan moved, but it was a movement which looked as if he were shrinking. Actually, he was sliding backward away from Madden so that he was sure to be out of fish range when he rose. (laughs) When he did rise, his face wore a stupid grin. Hey, Joe, what the hell? Why should we fight? I ain't done nothing to you. I can understand how maybe... Shut up, Dan. To Madden's surprise, it wasn't his voice which issued the command. Dan also was surprised. Gene, please shut your mouth. Can't you see what Joe is going through? She didn't wait for an answer, but instead grasped Madden's right hand. It still was curled into a tight fish. (laughs) The recognition of that made him relaxed. Christ. I am not a violent man. I, I've never... Joe, I'll, I'll call you tomorrow morning, all right? Gene, I know, Joe. I'm sorry for all this, all of what happened. Can, can I call you in the morning? Morning. Yes, there would be a morning. There would be a tomorrow when he would wake up from a night's sleep and he would look for... But she wouldn't be there. Gene, just the name. That's all he could say. But somehow the little face, which he always had considered to be dried up, seemed to understand. Tomorrow, Joe, I, I'm sorry. And then she seemed to pick up her husband as if he'd weighed nothing, shushing his mouth, which wanted to say something to silence, and leading the big man to the apartment door. Joe, she said. Yeah, tomorrow. I'll call about ten. Be sure to lock the door after we leave. He looked at her uncomprehendingly. Then Dan, his hand to his jaw, spoke. You better do like she says. Lock it tight. Tight as hell. End of chapter. Oh, man, I can't. I'm still. It's like, Joe, take care of Zeke. And then they both start slipping again. <laughs> At the door. Hey, Joe, I'm really sorry about the way. <laughs> There's two fish. <laughs> Down the stairs. <laughs> and then very far away, you hear, Is this vomit? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, had a great time. Great conversations. You always, uh, you both give me uh, inspiration, education, and a little bit of perspiration. And uh, I, uh, I miss you guys. It's hard yeah. not seeing you, but talking to you every week. I, I wish I could see you guys. Yeah, me too. I, I love you guys. I miss you. Thanks for the cake farts and the fish slaps. Well, that uh, brings us to the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Jesus. <laughs> Is this vomit? (laughs) 
If you enjoyed the show and the harmonious combination of our sensitive voices, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Club Vigilante or email us at vigilantebookclub at gmail.com. Aaron, say it. Go on, do it. Say it, say it again. Do it. You, you fucking idiots. There. There. You happy? <laughs>